Welcome to episode 76 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. And uh, today we're going to talk about Kevin's pick, Jason and the Argonauts from 1963, a uh, Harryhausen classic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll be talking about that as well as other stuff we watched. Might uh, I can't, you know, I honestly can't remember. Did we talk the Oscars last time or was that last weekend? The Oscars was, were last weekend. Okay, so yeah. we're going to talk the Oscars maybe a little bit, some of the winners and everything in the, the cere- so. ceremony. And um, yeah, a couple of trailers. What? How's, how's everybody doing today? A little stuffed up. Yeah, right? <laughs> we made it one episode. We're all sick again. Yeah, I've yeah. been uh, hacking up a lot of mucus. Yeah. It's been very pleasant. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's just been awful. But uh, luckily, Mardi Gras coming. And uh, I'm going to have three sweet days off where I can sit and do nothing. Just relax, rest. Monday, Party Tuesday, Wednesday? That. Yeah. Damn. That notorious time of the year for people to get healed from being sick. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> JR, you don't have the Mardi Gras break anymore, no? <clears throat> I do not. I do have a uh, three-day weekend this week, though, for President's Day. <gasps> they let you off for President's Day? Yeah. We actually get... Because we don't have Mardi Gras, we get those like lame, stupid holidays that I've never had off before. That's weird. I would love to have President's Day off as well. Are those more frequent? <laughs> well, are those more frequent than the holidays we have? I mean, I don't know. More frequent. There's I mean, not as many uh, days though, right? I so you're only we have getting the same w- amount of days. Oh, just, okay. okay. Oh, I see. You know, you're only getting one day a, to my three a bunch though. Of time for Easter and Mardi Gras. And I don't. Mm. You're not getting off. I mean, when's your spring break? My spring break is at the uh, it's middle of March. Like yeah, us too. Or end of March. End of March, actually, for us, I think. Mm. Yeah, because I matter. think Easter is the, is the first weekend of April. I don't know. Yeah, this is probably insanely boring for our listeners, but that's okay. No, but that uh, is, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. Okay. Uh, so let's. I guess let's just jump right into the Oscars. I mean, did did you guys watch? No, but I tracked it on Google. <laughs> Jared, did you watch the Oscars? I had a party. I grilled some wings in a tuxedo. I was uh, was all dressed up and festive for it. I, was, great. I watched alone in my living room. Sat there and uh, ate some cheesecake and watched the Oscars. Oh, nice. I do love cheesecake. Mm. I was on a uh, I was on a, a live chat with another podcast that I listened to, just chatting it up. A lot of fun. A lot of good comments. A lot of making fun of the ceremony. It was a, I thought it was a particularly bad ceremony this year. Uh, really awkward and weird and uh, unplanned and rushed and kind of boring at parts. <laughs> Someone counted 14 musical numbers. Uh, That's there insane. Only, there are only five best song nominees. We yeah. don't need 14 numbers. I don't think Especially we need five Especially when numbers. one is an Eminem song. From twenty years ago or whatever. I was yeah, I was confused about that. I was like, like I saw I saw like the the memes afterward of like Martin Scorsese squinting and you like, people, like the light show. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, and then you know like saying that he was performing "Lose Yourself." I was like, what? 
why? Yeah, why? No one ever explained it. Yeah, no. There was no, no explanation, explanation of why that well, happened. Well, I, I read something about, like, the producer or director wanted to keep, like, apparently there were some, like, more low-key numbers this year, so he wanted to keep the energy of the show up. But... That sounds like what, a producer. But, yeah, but I don't know why, but yeah, I don't know why you would go for Eminem with Lose Yourself. It's just, uh... Just, like, I don't, like, is Eminem even relevant anymore? He just released an album, like, a week ago, so... Is he even relevant anymore? <laughs> it was the number one album of the week, but... You is know, he? No. <laughs> he does have a weird uh, dye job on his beard, it seems like. Looks mm-hmm. like his beard is, like, painted on. Kind of weird. Right. And his Everything album covers... Is odd. Yeah. It's just weird to think of him as, like, dad bod guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what he is. <laughs> His dad al- guy with the pants falling down. His album mm. is a uh, tribute to uh, Alfred Hitchcock. The title, music to murder people by or something oh, like that. Right. You, yeah, I think I saw something about and, that. Uh, <laughs> the cover is like really embarrassing. It's like him with a shovel. It's, ugh, it's just like it's just like really cheesy. I don't. I can't believe they let that go. But anyway, um, yeah. So Parasite, the big uh, the big mm. winner at the Oscars, won director, won international feature one best picture once what did it win screenplay i think yep. so yeah. screenplay. screenplay uh just justly deserving right jr yeah it, i mean it was this was weird honestly i was not emotionally prepared for my favorite movie of the year winning best picture because that has never happened doesn't probably. happen i mean it's rare that my favorite movie of the year is nominated for best picture so yeah, I was I was both excited, but then I immediately felt like, uh, you know, just like a basic bitch. I was like, <laughs> now my favorite movie has been canonized, so I need to, I need to back up, take a look at what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, the reason that the, what I always think about is like, um, you know, yeah, because that's the first reaction, right? It's like, if, well, if, if the Oscars like it, then it can't be that great. But then mm. I think about, I think to myself, but they probably like it for the different reasons than why I like it. Which right. is like more like you know oh, it's just like the popular uh, indie art house film this year and everybody loves it and they want to be diverse and they want to give the Oscar to something that's um, not white you know yeah yeah it's just weird that they've never they've never nominated a Korean movie for best foreign language film let alone best picture so this is you know it is an unprecedented amount of uh, uh, I don't know of going in the opposite direction of what they usually do. I mean, like yeah. our last best picture winners are The Shape of Water and Green Book. Like these, I, in my opinion, are not very good movies at all. <laughs> and uh, it's like we finally, I think we finally have something cool. And it kept out 1917, which I'll get to later. But <laughs> I, I definitely thought that was going to win. And I was definitely, you know, going to have a an opposite kind of rant on this podcast when that happened. Word. I knew immediately when he won Best Director, I was like, oh, well, he's there's going to win Best Picture then. Yeah. Because it's, it's sweeping, you know? I did like that because of, uh, <clears throat> you know, because of Eminem and, you know, that one actor doing like this rap recap of the first hour and a half. And, uh, oh, that was embarrassing too. Jesus and because Christ. Joaquin talked about cows for four minutes and because Renee Zellweger listed names and jibber jabbered for five minutes they uh just like turned the lights off on all the korean people on stage yeah uh after 45 seconds i was like oh great it's like you want to rush to get off the air now after you've let all this other crap that was meaningless go on not i don't that's not fair to Joaquin. i don't want to say his rant was meaningless but it wasn't uh it wasn't eloquent it was not put together very well no (laughs) 
A friend of mine posted that uh, his acceptance speech was a deleted scene from Joker. That's I mean, that sounds right. <laughs> it just uh, yeah, it just felt very rambling, and I, I I don't get into his shtick of like you know don't clap for me. I don't want to be a celebrity. I you know I. I uh, I'm liking him less and less the more I see him in public. Um, but this was so he it was interesting. Like his speeches from earlier in the awards race, you know, it's like after the Golden Globes, he started to like really put his speeches together. I think to, uh, you know, to endear himself to the right people. Mm-hmm. And then for this one, he was like, "Oh, it's done. It was the last <laughs> one. <laughs> Just do my own thing again." Yeah. Yeah. Pretty. I don't know. I was I was just like get to get this guy off the stage. It was cringy, <laughs> but uh, you know he won. So finally, Joaquin has an Oscar. Mm. So it feels like the year of finally they have an Oscar. Like Brad Pitt finally won. Laura yeah. Dern finally won. Yeah. Who won the other one? I don't Brad, know. Uh, I was trying to think. Renee Zellweger. So, she, oh, yeah. She'd already won. She'd already everyone, won. Everyone I, forgot. She yeah, exactly. I, I wonder if she'll... It's Her winning is really weird to me because it's like she hasn't... It feels like she hasn't been around since she won the last time. And now I'm wondering if she'll like vanish again. I think so. Which is fine. I mean, because I don't... I'm not a huge fan of hers, but mm. if she did something interesting, I would be. But I don't know. Even her her in Cold Mountain, it's not, she's, she's all right, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I remember her performance being pretty over the top. Like, yeah, it's uh, a little uh, obnoxious. Yeah, you know, they stand out in the, they make the weather and stand out in the rain and say it's raining. Oh yeah, she, it was you know, the like, it really kind of cringy. It was the <clears throat> easiest performance to notice in that movie, of course, mm. because of all the the moments and the accent and everything. Yeah. I don't know. I noticed I mean, Jack she White. Has an accent. Oh right. I noticed Jack oh. White. Yeah. He should have been nominated. Well, you know, when they finally add a best cameo performance. <laughs> We get that. They really should. At this point, like, what, you know, like, why not? Because, like, it's a funny thing for me in credits when they say, you know, like, and such and such or, like, special appearance by such and such. Yeah. Like, I think it was that. That's not. A, that's not. That's was like... that uh, movie with uh, Anne Hathaway that's coming out with, like, and Willem Dafoe. And he's probably in it for, like, ten minutes. Right. That's why it says and. <clears throat> yeah. Um. <laughs> Although I was watching something the other day, I can't remember what it was, and it said and so-and-so and so-and-so, and it, they were the stars of the movie. Mm. I can't remember what it was, though. It might have been a John Sometimes Carpenter. they do the and okay. so-and-so if that person is the villain. Right. I've noticed. Right, right. But anyways, the Oscars is over, so yeah. uh, we can get started on this year finally, mm. thinking about the Oscars for next year. Right. <laughs> and... uh yeah, so let's, uh, that being said, let's get into these trailers. Uh, two big trailer drops this week, mm. um, or maybe in the last two weeks. Yeah. Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch is one of them. Kevin, a resident Wes Anderson uh, <laughs> worshiper, what do you think about this? I mean, as you would expect, I am 100% down for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I really like, at least from the trailer, I really like the way it's shot. And, like, it looks like a lot of fun. Mm. You know, probably something, you know, super, super goofy, but a lot of fun. Looks like it's being done in vignettes, sort of, like there's different stories. and uh, yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Like a Jarmish film or something, you know? Yeah, and that'll be interesting. I don't, yeah, I don't know that he's done something like that before, really. No, he hasn't. This yeah, is every, his first, everything uh... so far has been very, very linear. 
Is this his first use of black and white? Um. Oh, that's uh, actually, yeah, yeah, I believe it is. He never did like a flashback in black and white or something, though. I don't know. I'd have to rewatch. Yeah, everything. I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. Doesn't uh actually doesn't um. Well, there's a there's a like a couple of flashes in um. Uh, Life Aquatic, where it just goes to like, like red, but right. that's like blood in the water after a shark attack. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Um, like and whenever you know, he's like, when like, they, like flashes, like when the pirates but, um, take over the ship and he's before he bites his uh, shackles off, mm. it like flashes somehow. Yeah, but um, yeah. So it should I don't know. Yeah, I think it looks you know fine enough. I guess it's got uh Timmy Chalamet in it. Oh yeah, so big, big fan. Yeah, so that looks good and. Yeah. Uh, this has everybody. Yeah, it does have a lot of people. Yeah. Big cast, all as always. Yeah, yeah. I like the uh, use of actual blanks, you know? I was thinking about it. It's like, you know, Wes Anderson is one is one of the f- those few directors like um, Tarantino or, or Paul Thomas Anderson who really doesn't use CG or, or uses it incredibly sparingly mm. if they do use it. So that's good. Yeah. It's got a very, like, uh, analog aesthetic. Yeah. And then the other trailer, finally, I don't remember what it is. What is it? <laughs> oh, green the green, Knight. the Green Knight, right? Yeah, David yeah. Lowry's newest, uh, <clears throat> following his uh, his masterpiece, a ghost story. You guys agree? <laughs> I actually haven't seen it, but I've heard nothing but bad things. Oh, I, you've heard so, good things from me. I, I like it. it. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, we both like. Oh, wow, I thought oh, Jr. No. hated it. I don't think it's no. Nice. I'm sorry. I'm I'm remembering. I'm remembering uh, Jonathan. Like Jonathan hated it. Yeah, yeah, he talked about it on the podcast, and he just like literally, like took down his pants and well, just shit all over it. Jonathan doesn't uh, get an opinion anymore because he's quit. So true. 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 <laughs> what? Well, I don't understand. You know, you said he, you don't think it's his masterpiece, Jr. No, because I've seen Pete's Dragon. Oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen Peace no, Dragon, I, but the other I, films I I've seen by him are terrible. So, I don't think the Old Man and the Gun was terrible. I didn't see that. I saw the uh, other one, All All Saints Bodies. Or bodies. Yeah, that movie's garbage. <laughs> but really? Yeah, I hated it. I've always heard that was good, but I, I don't know why. I've never seen that. I don't know oh, why. Well, good luck. But <laughs> well, this one, this this one is like you know. Oh, I, you know. Having said that, I when I watched the trailer for Anthem Body Saints, I thought it was going to be great, and the Green Knight looks very promising. Mm. But you know, who knows? It could be a total piece of shit. I don't know. Yeah, cause like when I when like when I saw the trailer, I was thinking, oh, like this this really like kind of reminds me of. Childhood of a leader or the witch, something you know, very dark and um, and you know, a period piece, which I dig a lot. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm also cautious because you know I thought Midsummer looked really good from the trailer, and it wasn't. Right, Midsummer was a terrible piece of shit. Right, Jr. <clears throat> Debatably. <laughs> Debate. I can't talk. Sorry. <laughs> but no, it wasn't a piece of shit. You guys are pieces of shit. <laughs> I don't know. Personally, I could not care about Midsummer. That's all right. Uh, but yeah, the Green Knight looks like uh, possibly interesting, possibly good. I don't know. Yeah, it all depends on a lot of factors. You know, yeah, I need to see I, a full length trailer. I need to see a rating. Mm, yeah, I mean, I'm like, I did think it was interesting. Like, it's interesting to see 
Dev Patel not doing something like super Oscarbation, like the or like best uh, Marigold Hotel. Yeah, or like um, <laughs> Lion, Lion, oh, or like he's been in he's Slumdog in, Millionaire. Well, the that David was, David Copperfield film that he's got coming out. Well, I mean, that's Armando Iannucci, so there's probably going to be a lot of cussing in that one. But, uh, um, like, yeah, like, Lion and, like, I don't know, Chappie wasn't very good. Um, so it'll be, and, and, like, I was trying to think, like, how many, like, medieval or, you know, Arthurian-type movies do they have people of color as the lead? Because uh-huh. I'm, I'm guessing that he's playing Gawain. He is Gawain, yeah. He's Gawain. Yeah, so that's that's unique. Yeah, I agree. I don't mind his casting at all. Yeah. I like the look of the Green Knight. Mm. I like Sean Harris. He's in it. So, oh, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. I'm I'm mildly excited, cautiously optimistic. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, let's uh, jump into what we watched. Moving right along. Don't want to talk about Spiral? No, I don't want to talk about Spiral. Okay. Spiral about looks like a piece of shit. JR didn't watch the trailer for it. And uh, Saw is terrible. So, <laughs> I remember thinking the first Saw was pretty good, it's but not. after that, well, I don't. I haven't seen it in forever. Um, <laughs> all the Saw films are terrible. They're the Have worst. Have you seen all of them? No, I don't need okay. to. I took. I took one. I ate one shit sandwich with the first one. I don't need to eat the sequel sandwiches to know that they're shit sandwiches. Okay. Done. It was just a. It was a groundbreaking film. Was it? I don't know. No. Probably not. Did you see the first Saw? <clears throat> yeah, not until years later when I already knew the twist. Oh. That oh, right. I think everyone should have probably seen coming if they had been, I don't know. Well, uh, that's not fair. It was, was, hor- it was just it. horrible. Oh. The acting was horrible. It was poorly made. It was cheap looking. I hated it. I saw it when it came out you know, at Segan's. Carrie Elwes comeback. Yeah, it was embarrassing oh, yeah. for him. <laughs> Danny Glover. Oh, Jesus. It's just, <laughs> just awful. Just awful. Anyway, um... Let's talk about what we watched. Who wants to begin? Let's see. Not everybody at once, okay? Relax. <laughs> I mean, Kevin spoke. I thought Kevin was beginning. <laughs> he hasn't got his letterbox out yet. I've, well, I've got like two. Th- like, I'll start. I've got I, two things I to watched, uh, continuing with my John Carpenter kick. Me and my buddy Rustin been watching John Carpenter movies. In the Mouth of Madness was watched. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, the final film in his Apocalypse trilogy. Um, which, you know, I don't know that I buy it as a trilogy, really, but whatever. Uh, it's awful. It's a really terrible movie. It's uh, just really kind of boring all the way through. Sam Neill is really bad in it. It's kind of weird, too, because it's like he came off of Jurassic Park, like a huge blockbuster like triple a movie you know hollywood and he made this thing it's just so weird like he could have he probably could have written his own ticket at that point but um chose to work with john carpenter in the twilight of his career and uh you know they just put together a real mess and it's uh just an hp lovecraft uh kind of inspired um i don't even know how to describe it's like half horror half thriller it's about like a series of books written by Sutter Kane. And uh, Sutter Kane is played by the guy who plays uh, uh, Leto Atreides in the first Dune, in the, um, Lynch's Dune. I can't remember his name. He's like a he's like a German actor. Oh, Prussian now? 
Pros- yeah, yeah, Proshnow. Yeah, yeah, Proshnow. Yeah. Jurgen. Jurgen Proshnow. Yeah, he <laughs> plays the author, and he's terrible in it, too. Oh. Like, he's really bad. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> everything about it's just really awful. I can't uh, think of my... I, honestly, when it started, like, the first three or four minutes, I was like, this looks all right. This is all right. That's a good line. You know, like, Carpenter's got a knack for writing, like, funny one-liners mm-hmm. that don't seem out of place. They They work. And there's one of those in like the first three or four minutes. And I was like, this is good. Good omen. And then it's just all the way down from there. So I can't uh, recommend it at all. <laughs> Stay far away. <clears throat> Kevin? So I rewatched Coriolanus. Oh, right, because you read Coriolanus. Yeah, it was part of my reading, reading challenge for the year. Read a classic uh, tragedy. So I, so I read the tragedy of Coriolanus, and then I watched Ray Fiennes's. Where'd you get the Where'd you get the reading challenge from? Uh, our teen librarian. Oh, cool. She was doing like, uh, like she was doing like this reading challenge bingo, and like I just took like the actual like you know, read of this, read of that, and like yeah. I never actually put together the bingo board. Mm. But <clears throat> I like Coriolanus a lot. Um, the play or the film? The play. Mm-hmm. Um, the The movie's all right. Um, so basically, so basically, you got Caius Martius, played by Ray Fiennes, who he's a general of Rome. He sacks pretty much by himself the city Coriolis, and so afterwards they start calling him Coriolanus. And this guy's straight up military guy, like doesn't doesn't gives a give a shit about anything or anyone, and he you know decides to run for politics, not realizing that politics is way more cutthroat than any of the battles that he's ever fought. So he gets ousted from Rome, and then he goes and finds his like best enemy forever in uh <laughs> Tullus Alphidius played by Gerard Butler. And you then, just lose half a star immediately, right, when Gerard Butler comes on screen. He wasn't as bad as I've seen him be, but it's weird to hear him doing this Shakespearean dialogue. Yeah. Scottish does, does he yell voice. all of it? No. But it's very like I think brooding like that, like that. Yeah. Like it's yeah, a, a yeah, Taylor yeah. Kitsch acting. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um Yeah. So the movie is set in like present day in like like they say in the beginning, a city that calls itself Rome. Mm-hmm. And like it's very like Eastern European and um like the the citiz- the Roman citizens who are in the play are now like like the random intellectuals and artists who happen to be involved in like local council and you know they're just meeting in meeting in rooms like it's you know uh the 50s before some revolution and the acting is pretty good like i really like uh Brian Cox he plays Menenius one of the uh senators and this guy who's like really just trying to like hold Coriolanus's hand through the whole thing like don't say that. Don't say that. He does that a lot. And I think he has like one of one of my all-time favorite lines in all of Shakespeare like 
you know neither me, yourselves, nor anything. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, like, it pretty much sticks to the play. There's, like, a couple of little things here and there where they're, like, uh, you know, having, like, celebrations in between, like, the dialogue, which kind of, those scenes kind of go on for a little while too long. So, gave the movie three and a half. So I would highly recommend re- reading Coriolanus because it's really easy to get through. And, like, I think now, like, you could, like, there's been, I was reading up on it, there's a lot of, like, the play got banned a lot in the early 1900s because, like, so, like, Coriolanus himself is very much a guy who's, like, no, fuck you, you peasants. You didn't, you didn't work for this grain. I worked for it. I spilled my blood for this shit. Why should you get it? Why should you get the toil, you know, the spoils of my, of my toil and all that? The spoils of my toil. Yeah. <laughs> it's early in the morning. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, like, I think that's, that's, you know, like it was banned because of like, like people like very much looked at it as like a fascist kind of play mm. and I can kind of, and I can definitely see that. And I think that's something that's notable now, um, because you've got a lot of that kind of stuff going on, cool. but yeah. You know, democracy didn't exist when Shakespeare uh, was writing his plays, so I try not to be too hard on him. Right. Touche. Gotta get fucking woke, Shakespeare, you dumb shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Moving right along. Yes. All right, I watched uh, Casey Affleck's latest directorial effort, Light of My Life, which... uh, I know, John, you've talked about on here before, mm-hmm. but uh <clears throat> seems I liked it a, just a little bit more than you. Just a little but, bit. Uh, yeah. You know, Casey Affleck and uh, his daughter kind of roam the countryside in this, you know, I'll call it like post-apocalyptic scenario where this uh, disease or pandemic or something has wiped out uh, almost every female in the, at least the country. I don't think we hear about the world, but oh, we'll, we'll assume the world. Uh, so he's hiding his daughter Rag as a boy, you know, like an 11 year old boy and uh, <clears throat> kind of living out in the woods. They try to hole up in a house and everywhere they go, they're kind of, you know, they meet strangers who are creepy, seem to know that this uh, boy is actually a girl and sometimes attack them. It's uh, but, you know, for like, I think I liked it because for this kind of post apocalyptic thing, it's. It is very much about the relationship between the father and daughter. Like the the movie opens with this twelve minute improvised uh, story that Casey Affleck tells his daughter. It's a uh, it's a really aggressive, low key way to open a uh, a movie, and I I thought it really worked. And you know, it kind of uses that opening to set the tone for what we're we're going to get because this is not like a this is not a thriller. This is not an action movie. It is very much this, you know, relationship uh, drama that has a few, a few outside conflicts thrown in every once in a while, and because you know, because of that, because you know, Casey Affleck eventually has to make it a movie. I think uh, 
you know, the big violent confrontation at the end just doesn't really work for me. It's it's so much more violent than the rest of the movie, and it's so rushed that it, yeah, it it brings like an otherwise really stellar hour and a half down to a four out of five. Ouch! That was not the issue I had with it. But yeah, what uh, was your issue? Uh. I, feel, I think, honestly, no, well, yeah, I mean, it's been a while, but I feel like uh, thinking about it now, that 12-minute scene at the beginning, I agree. It reminded me of, like, the beginning of uh, Fata Morgana, where Herzog has a scene, like a loop of jets taking off from a runway for, like, 10 minutes. And he's even said, he's like, that's that's the barrier to entry for the film. You know, it's like, if you can get through that, then you're allowed to watch yeah. the rest of the film. <laughs> and it felt like that, and which I, which I can appreciate. But it felt like he maintained that pacing throughout the film. of, And it was just kind of like, uh, just, like, I don't mind a slow movie, but it was really slow. Like, I feel like not a lot happened, and there wasn't a lot of... I really appreciate this the like, the relationship between the the father daughter. I liked how he was trying to teach her things and how she was interested in learning those things, and uh, like all the stuff of like just them walking in the woods and talking to each other about stuff. And I, I really dug all that. And but I could I guess I could have used a little bit more of the thriller side of things. Like because anytime it, there was like danger, I was really excited. I was like, this is good now. Like this is interesting. And then it would just go like nothing would happen with it. You know, they, they would escape danger and that was it. And at the end, there's that confrontation and it's like, oh, the, the, finally something is happening and it's very exciting and doesn't doesn't last very long, but that's okay. I So I, I did love the walking in the woods and talking. Like there's uh, the first, they find someone kind of poking around their camp when they've been uh, out, like I think fishing or something. Uh, and Casey Affleck tells his daughter like, go hide and she's like why it just says because i said so and then after the confrontation the guys left uh he like goes in this whole like teaching moment like i know that wasn't because i said so wasn't a good answer it wasn't fair to you you deserve more but in that moment i couldn't uh i couldn't say anything else it was like this yeah that's, that's good stuff that's where the movie like really that's where i was in like me too i made it through the 12 minutes uh, and respected it, but I was like in on that kind of dialogue. Um, I just, I think that, uh, you know, I think it's purposefully slow and low key, but oh, of course, uh, yeah, I mean, it's deliberately yeah. paced for sure. <clears throat> but I, I think that, you know, the few moments of tension we get are, are so effective because they're spare and also because of the way that they escape. Like, like, you know that they have, like, these uh, safe zones, and mm-hmm. it's like he does everything he – Affleck does everything he can to avoid conflict and confrontation, which I think is, you know, realistic. He's not one dad and an 11-year-old girl, like, trying to stand up to four dudes with weapons. Right. Um, so, you know, we, you don't really get a fight because he knows he's not going to win a fight. No, compli- but, uh, yeah, I completely agree. I wouldn't want him to. I wouldn't want him to like get into a fight. I could like it's just like when, when okay when they're at that farmhouse in the middle of the movie, and they get discovered, and they escape. I was like, that's a great scene. I could have used more stuff in that vein, like them almost yeah. them in danger, you know, and more it, immediate danger. I guess they they kind of give you like they show him building out like uh, hiding places and mm-hmm. like ways through the house. Yeah, I loved all that. It's, 
kind of like a red herring since he he like goes through a hiding place so quickly. Yeah, you, you're right. You could have you could have had them hiding for another minute or two. Yeah, just I mean it could have been anything, but it's just yeah, yeah I just could use more of that in general. That kind of that feeling of anxiety of what if they get caught? What if you know they're because it does feel it, it. He does a good job of creating the the tension and making it seem like they're actually in danger. Like if they get caught, they're going to be fucked. You know. The, like the the people around him, you don't ever you don't really know anything about the other people in the world, except for the you know the global idea of there are no women, and so obviously the men are desperate. But it's like you and you just think about well this this is a girl, and she's the only girl, and it's like you can imagine what happens if they get caught. You know, <laughs> like it's going to be horrible. So like you really right. you're really terrified for both of them. I, I look forward to him directing another film. I th- I mean I think he has a a steady hand and he does, he's, you know, very skilled. I just, uh, didn't, it wasn't a masterpiece for me or anything. It just didn't, you know, didn't go to the next level, but I, I would, I would love to see more. All right. Well, uh, Jr. I watched honey boy. You want to talk honey boy? Yeah. Um, honey boy, honey boy is, uh, a movie written by Shia LaBeouf. Uh, he wrote it when he was in rehab for, uh, drinking, I guess maybe drug stuff too. I don't know. It's directed by Alma Harrell or Harrell and uh, stars Shia LaBeouf as his own father and stars a, uh, a young actor, Noah Jupe as the young version of him and Lucas Hedges as the, I don't know, 25 year old version of him, maybe older. Um, and uh, interesting, uh, Laura Sangiacomo making an appearance in this one as his therapist. So I haven't seen her in a while. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's about, it's like, uh, about his, he, when he was a kid and he was starting his career, I guess, before he got on the Disney shows that he's on mm-hmm. and stuff, maybe, I guess, while he's on the Disney shows, I'm not really sure. It I'm was not, hard to tell. Yeah. I'm not familiar with his, uh, before say, Oh eight, but, um, I liked honey boy a lot, but more than the film, I thought LaBeouf's performance was fucking amazing. <laughs> like I was really into his performance. He was very good. Uh, as his father just as this abusive user but also like weirdly like you know he's weirdly fatherly also like he he gives the kid good advice at sometimes you know (laughs) it's like he's 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 savvy he's not a full dirtbag exactly exactly he's not the worst father in the world yeah it it makes sense that you know it's presented as like shia not in rehab not really aware of like where his ptsd or issues come from mm-hmm. and like doesn't accept at first that they come from his father and that makes sense because you know it is like a weird emotional abuse but they have like this they have a bond sure and uh and he's not the worst dad ever he's just a dirtbag human yeah he's got his moments of where you know it gets it gets physical at sometimes and but you can imagine being his being that boy you know like uh kind of like battered wife syndrome just thinking well you know well i did egg him on i was you know i was getting on his nerves and i should have stopped or that kind of thing you know making excuses for his behavior <laughs> and, but, he, and he does give me things like yeah, cigarettes exactly, and exactly eat, yeah so. he uh he lets me indulge in bad things when i'm not supposed to but I just thought, I mean, like this, like they're just they're like just standout like just scenes that are like a lot of fun to watch his acting in. Like he has a confrontation with 
his son has a big brother, like mm-hmm. a you know, like the Big Brother program, and it's played by Cliff Clifton Collins Jr. <laughs> and he has this scene with him where he just eviscerates him, like insults <sighs> him so bad, and then throws him into a pool, and it's just fucking great. That's like, wow. <laughs> it took me a minute to even register what he said. He said it so quick, but it was just the worst, like most vicious thing to say to somebody. Mm. And um, there's another scene where he. Uh, I mean, it's all just all the stuff where he's taking care of the kid or, or in his way taking care of him. I mean, one of them's in the trailer where he's yelling at them about child labor laws and because the kid is working too late. Like, I, I love all that stuff. I just thought I just think he really embodied that character really well. And uh, I feel like it was kind of a shame that it didn't get more attention because, you know, I think LaBeouf's a really good actor. And I, don't, I feel like he's still kind of suffering from the I mean, part of it's his own fault for all the, the drugs and the, the drinking and everything and the arrests and whatever. But, um, you know, it feels like he, he kind of gets the shaft a little bit like in a, um, trying to think of other actors like, like Robert Pattinson, for instance, you know, Mm. would like a lot of people maybe wouldn't, I mean, see, he's getting away from it now, especially with the Batman thing, but like the whole twilight, like twilight kind of, you know, put him in a box and made you think, oh, this guy's a a pretty boy, you know, Mm. like teen, teen dream or whatever right and Shia LaBeouf I think is still kind of he has that a little bit and it's unfortunate well, and it didn't help that he went from like Disney to stupid stupid Transformer movies to mm-hmm. in trouble all the time right so it's mm-hmm. like there's never been a moment where everyone could just agree to take him seriously which yeah. is stupid because uh, you know the I also saw the peanut butter falcon recently uh-huh. which I you know I would not say is great it's like a indie indie movie paint by numbers sort of thing but uh he's really good at it because yeah, he's good he exactly yeah he'd be the reason to see that if it was uh if i was gonna see it and i and i i do sort of want to but i just haven't got around to it i i thought that they're uh i thought it was actually really charming there um when they presented together at the oscars how the yeah. the um the fellow with down syndrome i don't know his name he he like couldn't he couldn't get his words out or he couldn't see what he's supposed to be reading or something like that and Shia LaBeouf was like standing behind him like trying to like whisper what he was supposed to say to him so it was a very yeah. like uh, mm-hmm. endearing moment and that was you know there's probably a difference between uh, filming this uh, little indie movie of and then sitting in front of a giant auditorium of famous people with eight cameras on you oh yeah of course absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. no no doubt I'm sure it's nerve wracking as fuck to be on that stage yeah. But, um, but, yeah, yeah I, I, that was a cute moment. Yeah. I liked honey boy and, uh, I would watch it again. It's available on prime. Uh, I actually downloaded it and watched it right before it became available on prime. I didn't realize it was coming <laughs> Me out. So too. soon. <laughs> yeah. <Me> too. <laughs> watch a shitty screener of it. But, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty solid. Check it I, out. I want to just take uh, one moment sure. to recognize Lucas Hedges's impersonation of <laughs> Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. It's not like, it's not a, I wouldn't call it a great performance. There's not like enough of it to be a great performance, but right. just he gets that like Kate, that shy cadence down so well. That, I agree that I, you know, you immediately know who he's, tr- who he's being. When he got arrested impressive. at the beginning, I was like, he's, a, he's getting a little over the top here with the, what am I being arrested for? He's screaming at him stuff, you know, but then when all the scenes, yeah, all the scenes with him in the, in the rehab, I thought he was really good actually. And I was, I'm kind of on the fence about him because of, um, Having seen whatever that movie was where he was in like gay concentration oh, camp, I can't remember. Yeah, what it was called. Boy Erased. Yeah, oh, Boy Erased. Right. He's terrible yeah. in that. I guess. He's, he's a young actor who's been in a you know a mixed bag of right. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. like uh, 
prestige cinema. Absolutely. And I think mm-hmm. I like him in most things I've seen. Like I, I liked him in um, Lady Bird and I liked him in Manchester by the Sea. So I, I think he's got a good career ahead of him still. Mm. Oh, yeah. Boy Race was just a just a misstep. That's all, you know. Yeah, it happens. Anyway. All right. Kevin? So I rewatched the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings. Mm. And one thing... <laughs> One thing I can say about this movie is it's a mess. Really? Yeah. In what um, way? I think like like so like Ralph Bakshi's like famous you know thing is uh, you know using the rotoscoping like filming yeah filming live actors doing doing things and then animating. Are you a fan of this or uh, to a, to a certain extent? Um, I love rotoscope. Well, like I think I think it has its place, but like. Like there, there were parts where it's just there were parts of this where it's just like there's a like red thing in the foreground and then like just shadows of people like silhouettes of people moving in the background mm. and like that's what they use to like tell like the story of like how you know Sauron made the One Ring and then uh, Isildur took it off his hand and then Isildur got killed and then it got lost and Gollum takes it but then you go into like the more like more traditional kind of animation and it's like the like the stuff at the beginning look just I don't know just didn't look all that great hmm. although like I've seen like like it's it definitely like wasn't like Lord of the Rings wasn't rotoscoping wasn't where it was at when he did like later stuff like American Pop or Fire and Ice so those movies look great too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really like. I really yeah. love American Pop. I it need to watch amazing. it again. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, um, and like it I reminds think, me of the old, the old, the '40s Superman serials, which yeah, look great yeah, too. I agree. You know, this right. is really beautiful looking. Yeah, and like the story, the story of it's so Lord of the Rings is like the first two books, and like the story is pretty much intact, like. Like, I think, you know, plenty of uh, people will argue to the death, like, oh, they cut out this, they cut out that. And it's like, do you really need that? you got to cut stuff out. Yeah, you have to cut stuff out. You're making a movie. (laughs) Yeah, especially, like, you know, Lord of the Rings, like, these are not short books. Right. And there's a lot of stuff that happens to them. And, like, I remember, like, um, uh, seeing something about, like, like people were upset at like one of one of the Peter Jackson movies about how they cut out uh, Tom Bombadil. Yeah, that was a big deal. Yeah, because and you know they make they make a huge deal like why didn't they just ride the eagles all the way to Mordor? It's like then we don't have a story. Mm-hmm. Then nothing happens. Right. Then all then you say well that was boring, and yeah that was boring. Why did they ride the eagles all the way to Mordor? <laughs> right. <laughs> just changes the question. Yeah, like then then you like you literally do not have a story. Yeah. Anyway, so like, like there's, like, apparently Tolkien never like came like fully came out and said like what or who Tom Bombadil is, but from having just read the Silmarillion, I get the feeling that Tom Bombadil is actually like one of the one of the like, um, like there's God and then like there's the first tier of angels or angelic beings. And I think he's one of those to where like he could have easily just like taken the ring and then like out of existence. But 
Again, you do that, you don't have a story. Right. And in the book, like they like they stay with Tom Bombadil for like a couple of weeks and like they're not sure, like they're still not sure who or what he is, and like Gandalf is very like cryptic about about it. So like it literally does nothing for the plot. It's just a nice little um break from the from the relatively little action that's that was in the book up to that point. So like yeah. There's plenty of stuff that's in Lord of the Rings that doesn't, you know, it's all still in the book. Nothing is being taken away from the book. You still have it. Just read it again if you want to read the Tom Bombadil scenes. Anyway, here that ends my rant. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's fine. Three out of five. <laughs> Solid. Which incidentally is what I gave the book, Lord of the Rings. You you rated the book on Goodreads. Oh, on Goodreads, yeah, I yeah. see. Yeah. Cool. Out of five on Goodreads. Yeah. Of course, out yeah. of five is the best. Although, like, they don't they don't give you the option to do like half stars. That's stupid. Um, like I probably would have given it like three and a half. Like I like. Like to do that, like you have to like write a review, which like I could have done, but I'm like, eh, yeah, fuck I'm it. just moving on. Probably have plenty to be said about that already. Yeah. <laughs> Jr. All right, I had uh, I had some fun and uh, watched Ready or Not. <gasps> um, I don't know what that meant. What did that mean? I'm ready okay. to hear hear about the fun. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've heard it's I've heard it's fun. Yeah, I mean, you know. I I was a fan of these uh, of these trailers because I thought it looked you know like the a fun silly horror movie mm. uh, and it is and you know it's about this uh, Samara Weaving it plays this woman who's marrying the younger son of this massively wealthy family who has built its fortune on board games uh, they're really traditional they have weird rituals and uh, everyone who marries into the family must play a game the night of the wedding that's all in the trailers. Um, there's this weird like box that is apparently, you know, operated by this mysterious uh, spirit, and the person playing the game or the new person must pull the initiate, if you will, must pull a card out that says what game they must play, and uh, weaving pulls hide and seek, and damn, was that the wrong card to get? Um, so I, you know, when I initially saw the trailers, I was like, it's weird. Why does she have to play hide-and-go-seek? But, uh, you know, these other characters have, like, people they're married to who aren't dead. And, uh, yeah, not everyone pulls hide-and-seek. That is, that's, like, the one game where someone has to die as a sacrifice. Uh, there's, like, a ton of just, like, thinly sketched-out mythology in this movie. And thank God they don't spend an overly long amount of time dealing with that. You know, Henry Zerny kind of has to give the a quick monologue about where the spirit came from and the rules of the how they play but after that it's you know it's just it's just this family of we'll call them rich buffoons trying to hunt down this girl who is uh more resourceful than they expected not that she's like knows what she do she's doing how to defend herself she's just uh not quite as stupid as them <laughs> and uh weaving is really fun and actually with the exception of henry zerny who like as the guy who has to give these monologues and also as the patriarch just does a lot of scenery chewing. Um, 
the performance are they're just fun. Andy McDowell's fun. Adam Brody's fun. The groom, Mark O'Brien, whom I don't think I'd ever heard of, is uh is pretty good. He he like waffles between like cowering and hiding while his new wife is hunted and then actively trying to save her. Um It's great. And and it it also makes sense that they're buffoons because it's not like these people are hunting and killing people all the time. This is like a this is a weird occurrence for them also. So there's, you know, a great deal of physical comedy that goes with the uh, the action. And, uh, yeah. the who, These guys that made it, whom I also didn't know, Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillett, have a... They've got, like, great comedic timing. You know, they, every... Not every joke, but, like, most jokes hit on just the right beat. Hmm. I know that's the editing, too. But, uh, yeah, I you know, I could never, like, look you in the eye and say, <clears throat> this isn't, like, a stupid movie. Because... It is. It's built for, you know, this kind of ridiculous premise set in this, like, great mansion with uh, lots of cool music moments. But that's uh, that's it. I would watch it again right now. Four out of five. Nice. Um, I'm out, Jr. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna watch it. Sorry, bud. Can't do it. Okay. I'm not Sorry. like you're you. Very, you're very hateful. But I'm not like okay. you. I can't do the. Uh, it was fun. Bullshit. Okay. It's got to be art, high art. Okay? I'm just kidding. Uh, So I watched uh, Little Women, the Greta Gerwig remake. Mm -hmm. Um, And you love this. Yeah, which would have been my probably number three on my list if I had made made it on time Mm. um, or seen it on time. Uh, Yeah, it's it's great. It's really, really good. And uh, just a lot of fun to watch. Just just utterly charming and uh, lovely. Everybody, and it's really good, with maybe the exception of Bob Odenkirk, who I felt was uh, just distracting as mm. the patriarch of the family. Just, just weird to see him in the movie. But, you know, he's not in it very much, so that's fine. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, just crushing every fucking scene he's in. Just really good um, as this uh, kind of... I don't even know what you'd call him, like a is philanderer, the right word. He's like, he's like, oh. a does, he like does nothing, but, and he just like, mm. just kind of like flirts with every sister almost mm. and uh, <laughs> makes his way through their family like a recessive gene and uh, ends up uh, being rejected by one, marrying another and just really amusing. And uh, Florence Pugh, who, you know, just was fine in Midsummer, the worst movie of last year, but was, uh, <laughs> just kidding, JR, <laughs> was uh, absolutely delightful in this. And uh, I think I'm in love with her a little bit. So want her to uh, do a lot more stuff. She's great. Mm. Everybody was great. Even like, like, I'm not a huge Emma Watson fan. She was mm. great in it, too. So really terrific. And my favorite scene in the movie. Well, I really enjoy the when Chalamet gets rejected. That scene is great. But I think my favorite scene is Sir Ronan's in New York. She's trying to be a writer. And she, her, this guy that lives in the same boarding house as her, who's played by J.R., the French actor. What's his name? Uh, Louis Garrel. Louis Garrel, who's just fucking great. I could have used a lot more of him in the movie. Um, he, he's terrific. Apparently, he is like 
a shitty character in the book. Like no one likes him. Oh, really? He's great in this. I thought, man. Okay, so the scene when he she he wants to he's like a he's like a teacher of literature, I guess, mm-hmm. and he wants to read her stories to tell her what. Uh, he thinks of them and he doesn't like them and he tells her he's like these aren't good and you should be writing this instead of this and she gets really offended and it's just it's so good this scene is amazing I uh, he's just so calm with her and he doesn't get demonstrative at all and just takes it it's f- fantastic yeah just a really great movie <clears throat> and I think you know we talked a little bit last time about Greta Gerwig's lack of a nomination for directing and i i do kind of think it's um maybe a bit of a robbery i mean she her, her direction here is vastly improved i'd say from mm. lady bird uh just a much tighter more interesting stuff going uh, even like weird stuff like she she does a speed ramp at one point like she dumps to slow motion in the scene and then comes back into normal speed which is weird, but it's like it makes sense for what you're looking at. Like it's about whimsy and uh, being happy, and I, I don't know. It's just really interesting stuff she does. So I'm looking forward to more from her, and I just wish the movie would have gotten more attention because it's really. Um, I mean, it got a lot of attention, but more more awards. Mm, right. <laughs> it was really terrific. I liked it a lot. Four and a half. It might go yeah. up to a five on a rewatch. Mm. It's exactly how I feel. Yeah, loved it, loved it, and I thoroughly, you know, it's like it's like one of those movies where being a a man, even a, you know, I'm a, I feel like I'm a pretty liberal guy, and I, you know, I don't have anything against uh, watching a film about women at all, but this, you know, on the surface seems like it has nothing for me. You know, it's just like this period piece. PG movie about these sisters who you know are going through hard times and but they love each other and that's what gets them through you know and it's just kind of like oh, it sounds like a snore but man I don't I don't know she really makes it interesting and a lot of fun to watch and Chris Cooper is really great in it too mm. just playing against like it's just you watch the movie like you see Chris Cooper and you expect him to be like he's uh, Chalamet's grandfather and you expect him to be like a total like asshole like you know he like he hates everybody you know stay out of my house you know but he's just like he's delightful too like 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 the girls melt his heart away like all the (laughs) all the harshness of his attitude and he just like he adores them and he gives one of them a piano it's true it's terrific it's just delightful just delightful (laughs) feel good movie of the year kevin so i'm out of movies but uh (laughs) Yeah, it was it was a just a dry spell this yeah, past. Sure. This, sure. Um but I have been watching UFC videos on YouTube. Hmm? You've been watching UFC videos on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Uh but uh Blake and I have been watching Gargoyles a lot. Oh. And yeah. that show is so good. <laughs> like like I remember like I remember it from, you know, when I was a kid and I remember it being good. I didn't remember it being this good. Like so many, so many callbacks and like, uh, you know, they never like, like some of the stuff is like legitimately like, like as an, you know, like, like with Batman, the animated series, like you watch this as an adult and you're like, whoa, hold up. So like, like one of the premise, one of the premises of, uh, the gargoyles, like, you know, they come alive at night and they turn to stone by day. So one of the, one of the, one of the gargoyles, Demona she makes it to where at one point all of the humans will like turn to stone during the during the night and like there's a scene where like you know everybody 
like all the humans are stone, and she's just walking through the streets with a mace and just pummeling every statue she comes across. Nice. So like, yeah, like you know, like as a kid, you think, oh well, you know, just demolishing the gargoyles. But as an adult, you're like, no, like they're straight up. She's just straight up killing people, like by the dozen. Murder. Yeah. And it's like, wow. That's uh, yeah, that's pretty heavy for a cartoon. Yeah, which. Which brings me to like, uh, like I'm gonna go ahead and call out Bruce Tim for being, for talking out of school. I read a, I read a, I was reading the Wikipedia page for gargoyles and like, apparently Bruce Tim wrote off gargoyles as namby pamby Celtic fantasy crap. To which who, who is Bruce Tim? He's one of the directors from Batman the Animated Series, oh. and he's done he's done a lot of like Justice League and DC stuff, and like I believe he was the head director for yeah. Well, he was also like the head director for that um, that movie that they made a few years ago of the Killing Joke. The oh yeah, yeah, the R rated one. Yeah, the R rated one, and it's like okay, man, like. Whatever. (laughs) Fuck that guy, right? Well, especially, like, so, like, I don't know, like, uh, like, when, so, Alan Moore, the guy who wrote The Killing Joke in the first Mm -hmm. place, like, even he has said, like, no, that was too far. There's no, like, it's Batman. There's no reason, there's literally no reason it should have that kind of emotional weight for a story about a guy who dresses up as a bat and fights crime. Yeah. And, you know, like, these people who are going out of their way to, like, make make these things, like, more more for adults. Um, Looking at you, Nolan. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think, like, when I, when I saw Batman Begins, like, I was, like, you know, when I was, like, right out of high school, I was like, yeah, this is, this is you know, yeah. Batman for adults. I think I saw it four times in the theater. Yeah, yeah. But now when I see it, it's like, okay, this is Batman for, like, Pre-teens, like just for, coming into it's teens, for eight, and eighteen-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. That's how old we are yeah, when we yeah. see it, and then it's like, of course, we're gonna like it. Yeah, yeah, because like I keep com- I keep coming it's back to the whole like, like 19, you know guess, like but... trying to teach you a lesson. Yeah, and then like adding the line at the end to make sure that you got the lesson. It's like yeah. really patronizing. No one's a real piece of shit except for Dunkirk. <laughs> I'm looking forward to Tenet. I'm. But... I am. So just like oh, it just looks no. like it, it just looks like uh, <laughs> fucking uh, Inception Part Two, man. It could be, you know, Inception, but with timey wimey shit. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've, we've, I, you we've know, been wobbly timey. Hey, it's got Robert Pattinson. Obviously, I'm in. But uh, <laughs> and John David Washington, I enjoyed him. In the... He's been in one thing. He was good in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not. Yeah. I mean that should be promising. He's well, good in the one thing. Yeah, he's good yeah, in the yeah, one yeah. thing. This jury's out though. I mean, one thing is just one thing. You know? Right, right. Anyway, yeah. So uh, gargoyles is great. Watch it. Cool, Jr. All right, I did. Um, <clears throat> well, sorry, Mubi, Mubi dot com premiered uh, Luca Guadagnino's oh, you uh, new fuck. short film. I was going to watch Mubi that. Yesterday. I was going to watch that. What? What are you mumbling about? Nothing. I, I was going to watch it and talk about it. Also, I didn't know you watched it already. That's okay. Yeah, sorry. I was. No, nah, it's all good. Um, your your dog barking. Your dog barking does not bother us. Stop stop muting okay. your mic. <laughs> sorry. The uh, 
anyway, the credits of this look like a Woody Allen movie for some reason. Like, so it immediately starts with like the black simple font credits, and I'm like, what the? What am I watching? This does not feel like a, you know, the very stylistic uh, Luca that we've seen recently. And uh, this was produced along with Valentino Haute Couture, a French. Or maybe it's Italian. I don't know. Some fucking European designer of uh, of dresses and shit. And it did take me about 15 minutes to realize I was watching more of a long uh, commercial for dresses than I was uh, a short film. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. So you know, I I'll you know, I've already said it. Basically saying I don't like it, but I'll let you kind of. Uh, see the narrative for yourself because the the narrative is odd and it's uh you know it's got a weird chronology and it's ambiguous in parts so i'll let you interpret it that the way you want but i mean it is like every everyone julianne moore mia goth the woman that plays julianne's mother uh kiki lane from if bill street could talk like they are all just in these gorgeous uh dresses and outfits the entire time um you know, Kyle McLaughlin looks better than he has ever has before in these uh, suits. Um, and there is a lot of visual style here. I, again, have no... At the end of it, you've got no idea why you start... Like, they started with something that reminds you of Woody Allen. Um, uh, you know, I will say the narrative was not for me. Um, but I do recommend to, to like, big Guadagnino fans. I am a... Fairly big Guadagnino fan. I still haven't seen some of his films, actually, but the two that I've seen are I liked quite a bit. Yeah, and you should you should definitely watch I Am Love at some point. I really want to see um uh, was the a bigger splash. I've got that somewhere on my DVD Netflix queue. I'll watch that eventually. Yeah, I really want to see that, but I, I should see I Am Love too. I want to see everything, but um, I'm one of the I feel like I'm one of the few defenders of his, his Suspiria remake, so. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't love didn't love that. I didn't love it, but I I damn if I don't respect it. <laughs> but you uh, thought the original was kind of trash. I right? hate the original. Right, right. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> the original is garbage. Like Mr. Yeah. Mr. Bad Opinions. Over here. <laughs> hey, sorry, you know, not a not a Jollo guy. I don't know. I haven't liked what I've seen. But anyway, um, well, Jr., you want to get into 1917? We both That's watched uh, 1917, which shit. the former Oscar frontrunner, which uh, ended up winning very little, uh, won uh, Best Cinematography, which is a little bit of a crime, I think. Um, but like I said, I said on the forum and on Facebook, uh, Deacons will never lose again as long as he's nominated. Uh, nobody will beat him because I don't, he, know. I don't know about that. It's yet. true. He's just in. He's just. He's been canonized. He's the only uh, cinematographer that like your mom knows who he is at this point, and it's like. Now it's just like uh, everything he does is like legendary. Oh man, the flare scene in 1917. Oh my god, it looks so fucking good. Like this is bullshit. Okay, Lighthouse deserved it. I don't think he's ever going to to do anything like this again, though. Not a single I mean, take again. God, fuck. I hope. I hope he's not like. You know, sitting in his house, like I gotta find me the next like big, you know, <laughs> challenge. Like, mm. fuck, just make a every movie's a challenge. Make it sure. Work on a good movie. Yeah. For a change. Am I right? <laughs> well, was, he, was he the DP on uh, Buster Scruggs? 
Uh, no, it was a. Uh, I think it was Bruno uh, Del Del Benel or whatever. No, the last one he he did Hail Caesar with them. That was yeah. the last one he did with them. Oh, okay. So and he's done like he does plenty of bad movies. Like he did The Goldfinch, which oh. was apparently that was supposed to be prestige, but was apparently trash. Uh, same with uh, Unbroken, the movie Angelina Jolie made. Yeah. So again, he's gonna make crap and he's gonna work on good movies, and I. I I am less now that he has two wins. I'm less convinced that he'll win everything, but you know I I think he'll be nominated for everything. Yeah, I agree. I think he'll win everything, though. That's the difference. Um, but you know, to get to the movie, this was like uh, it's like all of my worst nightmares about what this movie could be. It was like they all oh, came man. true. I like. And is this just going to be like a camera masturbation session? Check. Is this going to have just like shitty video game dialogue and potentially feel like a video game? Check. Is this going to have just like the dumbest like horror film character logic? Boom. And then like, are we going to have just, you know, are, this is British. Are they going to do that thing where there's just like a hundred like moderately famous, respected British actors and cameos? It's like bam, bam, bam. <laughs> and by the way, they are all like, every cameo is the dumbest shit you've ever seen. Every famous actor starts with their back to the camera so that they can do a dramatic turn. The audience will never expect a famous person here. It's like fuck this, it was it was dumb. <laughs> Mark Strong, to be fair, is not introduced with his back turned. He is introduced as a leg. He is a tall. <laughs> oh my leg, goodness! And then he walks deep into the background. And then you're like, oh, this is Mark Strong's voice. And then finally, walks back into the foreground. His face comes into focus. Boom. Mark Strong. I was like, Jesus, give me a fucking break. There aren't enough Game of Thrones actors. Where are all the Game of Thrones actors, guys? I know. Oh, here we go. Richard Madden turns around. (laughs) JR really didn't like this movie, eh? I'm not sure I've ever seen him this upset. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I agree. That's not something that bothered me as much as other like i i was very bothered by the single take of it like i didn't i was just watching it and i'm just like i was constantly having to remind like it's it's just so in your face that like they're trying to make this look like a single take and the cuts are really obvious and it's completely unnecessary i and i mean it feels like an easy thing to say that it's unnecessary but it's like it really is like i can't even i don't even i cannot for the life of me understand the logic of making this a single take movie at all i so you know, if they limited the single takes to like, if we do one yeah. single take across no man's land, exactly, like that, that could have been cool. Like, like we are immersed in the point of view of these two guys crossing no man's land, which you know, we've been told the Germans have left, so there's not really a ton of tension there already. Except, again, they don't know exactly what they'll find. But if that had been one eight minute thing, great, yeah. fine, I'm down. But. I could have done it like that. I mean, it could have been like a few single takes or they could even done like the, um, what's the, uh, the abortion movie that was like four single takes, four months, three, nine days, whatever. That wasn't, it was more than four. Was it? I thought it was like, that was four. Anyway, a few, anyway, they're all, but they're really long scenes, right? They're really long unbroken shots. And I, I, I could have seen doing something like that because then the, yeah, then, then you manage your tension and it makes sense. 
but in this version it's like you cripple yourself because you're making it a single take but you, you've said at the beginning of the film it's going to take them eight hours to get where they're going it does not take them eight hours to get where they're going it takes well, because them, of that bullshit two-thirds right. of the way through yeah it's just uh goofy i don't I, yeah i don't know i could not it was and it's really like overly sentimental at times when it shouldn't have been like that scene with the wayfaring stranger like that was brutal they he comes <laughs> comes upon a, a platoon of men and one of them is singing wayfaring stranger in the woods it's just embarrassing i could i was like ugh. I really wanted to turn it off, but I couldn't because we were so far into the film already. The, the um, <laughs> you didn't go see it in the theater. I respect that. No, I, I downloaded um, the screener, man. Fuck that shit. <laughs> this, like, bef- right before that moment, this this is emblematic of like everything the movie does. Like, uh, he's he's in the water. This guy is in the water, floating down the river, swimming down the river because he's gone down a waterfall. Um, but chooses, chooses for the sake of conflict or the sake of this image to get out of the water right where there are like a bunch of bodies. <laughs> yeah. He did not have to climb out of the water on top of these bodies. It was a choice for the movie to have this image of him climbing. So like it, just every because you're doing one take, you have to have this like set up fake conflict that it just never feels natural right like the the plane crashing like that was so avoidable everything about the plane crashing was avoidable but they're just like no i'm just gonna stare at this plane <laughs> not move until it almost kills me i just yeah because we get because we got to get the shot we got to get the shot and have the conflict i also really dislike the score I found the score to be really generic and uh, just kind of like, yeah, I mean, like like most of the film, just kind of like a thrown together Hollywood version of war. And like we have like we have these things. And I saw one review called it an anti-war film. And I'm just like, I don't understand that at all. Like, where do you get anti-war from this? Well, isn't every like, film right. anti-war? Like what movie is like a rah, rah war movie in these yeah, days? I mean, like, like they're always like about how straight up how like, bad stuff po- is, you know, unless it's like straight up like Lenny Riefenstahl film. <laughs> Look, there know? were there were some movies in uh, especially the 40s during World oh, yeah, War II yeah, that yeah. were like definitely like pro-military join the military we got to defeat mm, the germans right, of course right, right. yeah of but course we haven't really had anything like exactly that since then right. i don't understand what like why it's even necessary to call this an anti like it's as if as if you're saying sam mendes is trying to make a statement about war which i he clearly is not like he's clearly just interested in the story it happened to his grandfather or whatever and he wants to make us he wants to make a movie about it because he finds it interesting like i don't think there's any kind of political agenda behind it it's just like uh, it's just so stupid to look at it mm. through that lens. I mean, I, I I found parts of it to be um, good looking. I when when they're in the bunker uh, before the rats set off the explosion or whatever, I thought all that looked really good. The 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 lighting in there, the minimalist lighting, and um, I enjoyed the lead actor's performance. I thought was pretty good. Um, McKay, George McKay. I've liked yeah. him in other things I've seen him in. Uh, he was one of the few good things about uh, Captain Fantastic, which is an otherwise forgettable mess. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, overall, it's pretty disappointing, pretty lame, and uh, a little tryhardy. This this whole thing, it reminded me, it, you know, and I, I know the video game thing's been beaten to death, but 
it really did remind me of like the feeling of tension I get or that I got like when I played games like Bioshock when I was in college. I was not a video video game person, but like I knew that around every corner I was gonna face a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I was gonna have to shoot someone, and that person was gonna pop out at me. And in this movie, it's like I know, oh, there's gonna be something right here. There's gonna be something right here, and just every time it was just. It is like this most like superficial version of tension that you can have. It's, it's bullshit. I was really glad to see it lose, especially like I was hearing that Sam Mendes was was favored to win director, and I was like, if he wins director, like that's embarrassing because there's so many directors who are nominated who did way better work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only one I I would have hated to win more than him would have been Todd Phillips, but right. There's just you know it's like you can't win best directing if you have or and you know you can't be you can't be nominated for best screenplay when you've got shit like the generals in there talking yourselves up. Oh, the generals here must be important. <laughs> like you just can't have shit like that in your movie. Oh, man, don't talk to me like I'm playing must be important. the first Resident Evil game. <laughs> oh yeah, that's good. It's so funny. Like the uh, the fourth uh, season of. Black Adder takes place during World War One, and like I feel like it's really laughable when a comedy show takes this war more seriously than this prestige drama. Right. I, I mean, like, I, I think Sam Mendes thought he was taking it seriously, mm. but but I think he thought he was taking it seriously in a way that he was like, I am going to show the horrors of war without making like a statement about it, but I'm also going to like entertain. Like I've got a story that's emotional to me. I'll use it to entertain. And it's, mm. I don't know. I mean, to be fair, it seemed like it worked for a lot of people. So yeah. it seemed like it worked for everyone, but, but us. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'll, I think I'll probably see it at some point, but I'm, you know, yeah, I'm, definitely, now definitely I don't, don't have form your own opinions. Uh, but, uh, all right. Well, I think that was mine. So, Jr. It was, but I'm out. Oh, you're out. Jesus Christ! I got a lot left. Um, well, I'll just talk about two of these. I well, I watched American Dharma, which is the latest um, fucking direct documentarian guy, Errol Morris. <laughs> Errol Morris film. Um, to wanting to see this. It's an extended interview. It's on Canopy right now. It's uh, an extended oh, interview with um, the guy. For, I can't remember people's names today. The guy from Trump's administration, oh, Steve uh, Bannon. Oh yeah, um, and they—it's interesting because the technique that he uses is he asks Bannon about his favorite films, all of which are military films, <laughs> like pro-military, like I mean, just like I don't know, just like man's man, macho military movies. Like Patton. During no, he dozen. likes he likes Bridge on the River Kwai. He likes uh, some movie with the the central film that he talks about a lot is uh, a movie with Gregory Peck about twelve o'clock high. Yeah, twelve o'clock high. That's okay, his, that's yeah. like his favorite film of all time. Mm. And he talks about it. And Errol Morris recreates uh, the hangar from Twelve O'clock High, and that's where he interviews him. Oh, okay. And there's all these props from the movie and stuff, and he shoots Steve Bannon like manipulating the props and doing stuff from the movie, doing like things that Gregory Peck did in the movie, and oh. it's interesting because um, it's a good way to get an insight into like the personality and the thought process of the guy. Mm. And the the big takeaway for me was that Steve Bannon seems 
less interested in ideology than he is about just winning in general. Like he just wanted to crush the the opponent that he had. Yeah, yeah. And so he made Trump win. And uh he does he does kind of defend Trump's uh policies a bit and he defends especially the ones he came up with, like the travel ban, things things like that. Mm. But it doesn't seem like it's coming from a place of ideology. It just seems like it's coming from a place of like pragmatism and he wants, you know, like I mean, I'm not trying to defend the guy. Like I, I think he's kind of a scumbag to be honest but but he he doesn't come across as a like a like people would call him racist he doesn't come across as a genuine racist to me he comes across as someone who's going about fixing problems uh from a racial perspective you know Mm. if that makes sense like he doesn't seem like he'd be like you know like i don't know it's a different kind of racism maybe than, Mm. than you'd expect but uh the movie overall I don't know. It's just kind of, it's a little, uh, narrow and kind of not terribly engaging, but it's, uh, it's all right. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I gave it three. Okay. And then, uh, I watched, uh, we did a double bill. Uh, we watched assault on precinct 13 for the first time, me and my buddy Rustin. And, uh, love it. Just continuing with the John Carpenter. I think this is my favorite John Carpenter film, but I have to (laughs) rewatch the thing. Okay. Uh, this ruled. <laughs> it's just really. I love how long it takes to for anything to. Ha- it takes like an hour before the actual siege on the police station starts, and that's just like so good. Like everything that happens leading up to it makes a lot of sense, and it's uh, it's got some kind of just like weirdly creepy moments with the gang. I love that the gang. Nobody in the gang ever says anything. There are no lines. They're always dead silent. They don't talk to each other. They don't talk to the cops. They don't do anything. It's like they're zombies. And I mean, I he apparently based this off of Rio Bravo and um, Night of the Living Dead, which makes sense. And I did watch half of Rio Bravo last night. I didn't, didn't, didn't get to finish it. Mm. But um, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. And the action is really good. And uh, I love, again, Carpenter's screenplay, his, the, the one-liners are fantastic. <laughs> All the stuff from the the crook guy. There's like a prisoner that they have you seen this film? No, no. Yeah, there's a prisoner. I've been, I've been meaning to. Like, it's really great. John, like quality. Mm-hmm. You know, you can argue about Carpenter, but quantity. Yeah, yeah. the guy has done a huge amount. Yeah, I've so got it's, like it's nine difficult films left to see. So yeah, it's like difficult to like you know get to all. Of them. This is one you want to get to quickly though, because okay. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna watch his films, this was this would be one of the first ones I'd recommend. I think because it's just um one of the better ones. But uh, mm. yeah, I don't know. I just really really enjoyed it. And then we watched Bad Lieutenant Port of Call, New Orleans, <laughs> <laughs> because we were watching uh, Cage Freakout videos or something on YouTube, and oh. one of the scenes from this was in it, and he had never seen it, so we watched this as a rewatch for me. I haven't seen it in a while though, and it was really, really great. I forgot how nihilistic it was. Like it's mm. how the whole film is. Nicholas Cage is just burying himself deeper and deeper into these terrible things that he's doing. He's doing drugs. He's stealing from people. He's stealing from the uh, evidence lockup. He's gambling himself into a deeper and deeper hole with Brad Dourif. And then, at, like three-fourths into the movie, suddenly everything turns around everything's going great for him. Like, he wins a bunch of money with Brad Dara. Uh All the charges get dropped. All the inter- internal investigation <laughs> stops. And it's just it reminded me of um, the house that Jack built when mm. Matt Dillon is committing these heinous crimes, but it feels like God is 
making it okay, like making yeah, it so yeah. he doesn't get caught. Yeah. And uh, it reminded me of that. It's like this, just this really uh, dark kind of turn in the film. But Nicolas Cage, obviously, just really fantastic and a really interesting performance off the wall. Great, great movie. And it was Rustin's first Herzog film, so we're going to really? watch Rescue Dawn next. Okay. Just trying to ease oh, him he's in. Gonna... Ease him in slow, you know? <laughs> I mean, I've, good, I thought... Good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, from what... It's been a million years since I've seen Rescue Dawn, but I, I imagine that, like, knowing what I know about him, he's yeah, going to yeah. be like... Oh, he'll love it, yeah. He'll yeah, like... It. I mean, it's... Like, uh, that's going to be a six out of five for him. Yeah, he he loved this one. He gave it a five out of five, so... Yeah. He, gave, he liked it more than I did. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but yeah, that's it for me. So, uh, I guess let's jump into Jason and the Argonauts. Cool. Kevin's pick from 1963. Mm-hmm. Directed by Don Chaffee. Don Chaffee, and uh, of course, the special effects work by Ray Harryhausen, mm-hmm. starring a uh, dubbed Todd Armstrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I didn't know until I read it later. I didn't notice okay, that. Yeah. I just read it. I, it it made it makes sense. I didn't know that until you just said it, but like it makes total sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, Kevin, why why this? Why now? So I was, I've seen this, I've seen this twice already, and Ooh. I could have sworn that I had seen it while I had a letterboxed, but for some reason I never logged it. And so I was looking and like, I noticed that JR hadn't seen it or at least hadn't logged it. So I was like, what? That is, that is unusual. Yeah. So I was like, okay, you know, there let's, we go. let's, let's watch this. Done. JR, have you seen this or was it a, uh. No, I am. After watching it, I'm quite certain that I have, you know, either like in clips or on TV somewhere seen like uh, some of the more famous sure. uh, the skeleton sequences from this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Skeletons. T- Talos looked or Talos looked familiar uh, for sure, but that might just be from seeing clips on TV. I, I'm yeah. pretty sure I've not seen this whole movie. <laughs> mm. Well, uh, that being said, uh, what did you think about it? Who, me? Yo. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I watched this twice. I watched it on my computer the first time and then noticed that it was on uh, Criterion Channel, so I was able to turn it on my TV. And, well, you know, this is like a, you know, we'll, we'll call it, we'll say that this lives in like dumb blockbuster land, which I don't mean that to be a, like a quality judgment. But that's just kind of what this this movie is to me. Uh, so I wanted to see that on a bigger screen with my full attention of not mm. trying to take notes with it, like click pausing the movie and clicking away to take a note on my the same computer. Um, and I, you know, I enjoyed it because it is a quality adventure movie. I, I think that it's often dumb and it uses some storytelling things that I really don't like, but. I think those storytelling things are, are wrapped up more with, uh, you know, narrative issues I would have with Greek mythology, mm. like just the constant, you know, gods pulling them out of danger or giving them the way, you know, I, I would have rather them use more narrative logic and less gods to, to get the job done. But, um, it was really fun. And, and, you know, I've, now that I've said that word, Jonathan's going to say fun is bullshit. <laughs> no, and, no, no. Uh, I was kidding. 
JR, relax. But, uh, I mean, he literally said the next movie that he watched was really fun. <laughs> what, what movie? Uh, was it Little Little Women? or Little Women was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This whole time, Precinct 13 was a lot of fun. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> a lot of I movies are fun. Yeah. As, as far as, uh, you know, early 60s blockbuster and b-movies go like the the performances aren't god-awful the uh the dubbing could have been way worse since again you know, you know mm. um and there were like the sequence like the the harryhausen sequences are like i think they're really entertaining with i don't know i don't think that i like the clashing rock sequence very much but all the other ones i enjoy well, I'll piggyback off that uh, by saying that the Clashing Rocks sequence I found to be overly long and boring. But when, what was it, Poseidon or somebody? Yeah, Poseidon. Shows up, that kicked ass. I like that a lot. And it reminded me of Cabin Boy when Poseidon <laughs> shows up in that film. Or he's like, but he's like in a, he's like in an office get up like a suit and tie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was I was very happy that uh Harryhausen decided not to use a like animated model for that and just do uh you know the a giant person on the um what do you call that uh on the rear projection. Mm. Like I was happy that it was a just a big man. And yeah, I thought it looked a, really good. Cartoon. No, I agree. I think it looked really good actually. Anytime he animates um people like when uh the hydra acustus or gust yeah when he's being held by the hydra that looked kind of weird because it's like it's a clay it figure that's supposed to be a real yeah. person so yeah, yeah but i don't know how else you would do that it didn't look it didn't look bad exactly it just didn't look real um which you can forgive for the creatures because they're creatures that don't exist but when it's a person, it's like that person exists. I've seen him in the film. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, I will say that uh, I, I would stop short of saying this movie is fun for me. I didn't find it fun. Uh, I found parts of it a lot of fun. Mm. But, you know, I think it. Um, so just going all the way back to the first kind of real action sequence, which is the Talos sequence where Hercules and the other fellow steal the spear out of his... Hylas. Hylas, yeah. Steal yeah. a spear out of the crypt or whatever. And Talos comes alive. That rules. Like, Talos coming alive was amazing. I love the iron creaking sounds that yeah, it makes when yeah. it moves. Oh, yeah. Like, that shit's good. And it looks good, and uh, I like when it does the uh, Colossus of Rhodes thing, where it yeah, stands yeah. on both the. Uh, and then I, I wanted it to step on the boat, but I understand why it didn't in retrospect, because then the boat's gone. But uh, or I don't want to like hit it with a sword or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea that it just picks the boat up and just kind of shakes everybody off of it. That's kind of fun too. Yeah. And I, I thought it looked really good. Like it was like that whole sequence was made really well. It's convincing. And then we get to the point where he. Uh, Jason asks the goddess, okay, how do I defeat this thing? And she says, pay attention to his ankles. And I'm like, all right, that's going to be interesting. Man, now he has to use his wits to figure out how to, you know, that's the weak point, the ankles, right? But it's like, it. there's nothing about it that requires his wits. He just goes up to him and unscrews his, his ankle and then stuff pours out of him. Yeah, like, for, forgive but, the pun, but it was very mechanical. Yeah, and anticlimactic. I was like, I was like, I was looking forward to something clever being done there. 
It's like, oh, he's going to have to like lure him into a certain spot or something, you know. But it's just like he just unscrews him, and that's it. <laughs> it's just kind of like. So, this is, I mean, this is the mythology issue I was talking about. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They, they, I, I, I don't know this story, Jason the Argonauts, very well, but I did look uh, up like this kind of stuff that happens, and it doesn't play out the same way because they have, uh, they already have Medea on the ship at this point when it happens in the story, mm. but um, like the ankle's still the weak part and they still defeat him through like something very stupid and quick. And this is like, I don't know. I I wish that Harryhausen had come up with something more creative for all these things than just going, you know, sticking to the mythology. Right. Yes. The same thing with the, um, with the, the creatures later on, the blind man and the flying demon creatures. Yeah. It's like, of course they're going to use a net to capture them. I don't know. I just could have used a little bit more. Like what's and then they just put them in a cage. I'm like, oh, this is it? Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. Could we have had them maybe like struggle on the first day and then right, and then maybe on Re- the second day reassess and figure out what they did wrong? Yeah, that's you know, it could have mm. been just could have been, could have been done more interestingly, more cleverly, and uh, I don't know. It's uh, that 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 kind of thing. Those kinds of things bum me out about the movie. And I felt that those sequences, in particular, the the one with the uh, the flying creatures, a little, a little long. Like I feel like once they get the net in place, it's like you know what's going to happen. Like they're going to drop the net on them and capture them. They, I really thought they were going to like slaughter them after they ca- capture them. But then of course mm. it's like the irony they want to make it so that the blind man is uh, in control of them. Right. I'll say that I did not care for the representation of the gods in Olympus. I could have done without any of that. Like I didn't need them to be characters. Uh, I felt like you could have conveyed that through like priests or something like that. The idea that he had five uh, times to ask for help or whatever. Like I hated any time it cut to Olympus and it was Zeus talking to Athena or whoever the fuck that was. Hera. Hera. Yeah. yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was not, I was just, I don't know. I just, it felt very like, it felt like Saturday Night Live when it cut up there. It was like, this is, you know, it's like hazy and it's like, oh, we're in Olympus now. Yeah. We're in heaven or whatever. This is yeah. cheesy. I don't know. I didn't one one of my biggest issues with, like, I, I called out, like, bullshit when, uh, <laughs> when, like, that priest was, the priest, you know, is revealed to be Hermes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, the yeah, priest yeah. who has been with uh, King Peleus this whole time and, like, initially gave the uh, prophecy. I was like, what, what, why are you hiding out among the humans for fucking decades yeah. with this awful king? Supposedly awful king. We don't actually know that Peleus is a bad king. Mm. They just kind of tell us. He just is the bad guy. Well, I think uh, like, that's, that's the thing about like the gods. Like They do like to just fuck around. Yeah. Know, just mess, just Making, mess with people. Yeah, they make a sport and again, of us. Yeah, it just yeah. makes very little narrative sense in a modern story. Mm. And Peleus, I'll say this too. This is not the film's fault. I don't know whose fault it is. It's, I guess it's mine. I wish I wasn't paying attention, but I did not understand that Acastus was Peleus's son oh, until right, he right. turned on them. <laughs> and oh. I was like, oh, that's right. He's his son. I forgot he was in that scene. Or, well, in that scene where he meets Peleus at the beginning, where Jason meets Peleus, he rescues yeah, him yeah. out of the water. It like I was like, okay, this is Peleus, right? Yeah, good. And then Jason tells him who he is and I'm like he doesn't seem to react to it at all and I'm just like wait isn't this Pelly shouldn't he be like wanting to kill this guy right now 
And then they go back to his camp and they're like talking like they're good buddies. Like you can use my men and take whoever you need. I'm just like, okay, so this isn't Peleus, I guess. This is some other guy. I was just really confused during that whole sequence. So he he doesn't. Uh, Jason doesn't learn until he's out on the boat that the guy that he stayed with was yeah, Peleus. And I remember I remember that scene, but I'm just like but, I, so at I that didn't know point, before then. At that point, he's seen. He does not acknowledge this until the moment where he says it to Acastus. But I guess at that point. He realizes Acastus, whom he met that day, is King Peleus' son. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't come up until 45 minutes later. Yeah. Right. Like, there's yeah, like, like when, when Acastus like has finally betrayed them to the king of uh, that place. Well, no, it, it comes up uh, when he when he and uh, Acastus fight on the boat. He oh, accuses right. Acastus of wanting to attack at night so that he can stick a javelin in in Jason's back. And then, mm. and then Acasta says, "You'll die for that, Jason." And then they get in their fight. And right. Blah 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 blah. That was okay. Which again, like, you have to you have to connect some dots for that to to make any damn sense. I was a big fan of Hercules. Oh I yeah. like the actor oh, who played Hercules. Him. I love that he was like old and graying, and that he was like a legend. Like everybody knew who he was already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when he is not like when it he, I love. I love the idea of him being like stubborn and saying, I'm going to find what Hylas is. Hylas? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I have to find, he's like, leave whenever you want. I can't leave without finding out where this guy is. Mm. I was like, that's badass. But then they actually left him and I was really bummed out. I was like, I wanted him to be in the movie all the whole way through yeah, or like I come back or something, you know, this guy, Nigel Green was an inspired choice in, in, in general. Like no one, no one has that like stereotypical bodybuilder physique. Mm-hmm. No one's like a physical mm-hmm. specimen in this movie. And I, I definitely appreciated that. Yeah. Like there was, um, on the Blu-ray that I got from the library, there's an, uh, a featurette where John Landis is talking to Harry Housen about the movie. And like, they talk about how like, like Landis said, like that's his favorite Hercules because of like his vitality and energy and Harryhausen like says like yeah like we we just didn't want to go with like all the other Hercules you know like Italian muscle men so. yeah and I That's love the choice. the yeah. scene when he's introduced the feats of strength kind of thing where they're yeah, all yeah. competing to become the soldiers I loved all that shit that was great yeah. and the whole the the kind the, the kind of clever thing that I'm talking about is when the the skinny guy yeah yeah does we, what Hercules does because he skips the discus on the pond yeah yeah like that's brilliant like I love I could have used a lot more of stuff like that in the yeah movie. like that yeah like that's what we needed that's what we needed more of right just more using using your wits using your smarts to overcome things you know yeah because like that's like you know Zeus even like straight up asked uh, Jason like well how you know how are you gonna do this like with the spirit of man genius like do something. Amazing. Zeus also ruins what happens to Hylas because he's like when they're all celebrating Hylas, uh, they cut to Mount Olympus and Hercules oh, is, yeah. or not, and Zeus is like, let Hylas have his fun while he can or have his moment while he can. I was like, man, fuck you, Zeus. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, the special effects are obviously impressive for the time. I mean, mm. not just for the time; they're kind of just impressive overall. But I, but I feel like a lot of you know, you hear a lot about this movie from the perspective of Harryhausen stop motion stuff. But I really mm-hmm. thought that there are other things that were impressive too, like all the um, when the goddess fades out and she becomes smoke, and yeah, the smoke yeah. like retracts into the ground and then into yeah. the water. Like I thought that shit looked really good. 
uh, all the fading looked amazing. And then the, in the, in the Olympus, when they're watching in the, in the pool of water, mm-hmm. like I thought all that looked really seamless and uh, pretty solid. Yeah. So I, mean, I think in general, this, this movie looks pretty good. They did like all or almost all location shooting and it's, you know, it's pretty. I'm glad they're actually out in the water. You can see real uh, coastline and cliffs in some parts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of it, yeah, some of it seems like they're on the boat in the water for real, and then other parts you can see are, are rear yes. projection. But I don't, I mean, I don't mind. It's whatever. You know, you got to do what you got to do. And mm. they have, a, I'm sure they have a somewhat of a limited budget in this situation. I, I did, I did have an issue with the, um, with the, the more on the rock sequence when the rocks are falling, like the, you know, just the infinite amount of rocks falling into the water. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, that water being, you can tell everything's miniature because the water is like viscous looking because yeah, yeah. it's so, you know, it's like a smaller pool of water than mm-hmm. what it normally would be. And I, that took me out of it a little bit. It's, it's interesting that they, they acknowledge immediately that that water is uh, shallow and mm. then you find out it's shallow because rocks fall in it. Those cliffs just wouldn't last very long. I know, right? Mm. Like, uh, there's so know, much rubble they're, falling they're off. They're eroding. Of the cliff. Yeah, right. it's right. insane. And they're like, move, like the whole cliff is moving back and forth. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty nuts. But uh, I was thinking about this movie in terms of like, there's not many women in it really. Like, there's the goddess, and then there's mm. Medea. Yeah, and, and Jason's mother. Right. And it's and like, yeah. it's a bit of a macho man movie, you know? It's like yeah. a bunch of like half naked guys that are, uh, you know, in pretty good shape and they're just rowing constantly and fighting battles against each other and everything. And uh, I don't know. That was just an observation. It feels like a macho movie. Yeah. And again, Medea, who is, uh, she's top build with Tom Ar- Todd Armstrong. Right. She does not appear until like 65 minutes into the movie. And when she does appear, I felt like the movie it bogged down a little bit for me. Mm. Like when it's not it's not her. It's just that when they get to where she is, they yeah. get off the boat, and I'm like, ah, eh, less interested now. But <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's kind of in general. Like the, the them arriving to their destination is again like pretty lackluster. Like that's for me. Like rewatching it, like I kept think I kept thinking like, why haven't I been raving about this movie because like it seems like right up my alley and then i watched it again and i was like okay that's why because this like the special effects the acting are pretty good but it's really the story that just does yeah. nothing for me it's because the like, it's uh, supposed to be this you know this epic uh quest and then there's like like uh like uh like like every like like every episode that's in the movie like ends with kind of a dud ending and then like like once you get like all the way to the end where Jason finally ca- you know has the golden fleece and they're on their way back like that's it like he the you know end. yeah he doesn't he doesn't get you know like you just assume that he gets back safe and sound and retakes his kingdom from Peleus um well I think they were hoping for a sequel for that. Oh, it seemed that like never, didn't they, they, it seemed came. like they made a, they had a line at the end that was very like you know sequely like they were leading into something. Yeah, the gods said something to that effect. Yeah, um, it was basically like a "We'll see you next time." Right? <laughs> but, it wasn't but, that, that, but that's obviously. a story for another day <laughs> or something. The only uh, it, no, sorry, go ahead. I just I, I think what you said makes a lot of sense. I mean, this is. 
episodic in a way that cuts like the sort of epic feel that we have and it's episodic in ways that make things not even make sense like i mean again in the same fight between jason and uh acastus it comes up because jason's like we're not going to attack we're going to you know go in there stealthily see what's going on and all of his guys like freak out like we're apparently they were all under the impression that they were going to war but we weren't i don't think we were under the impression that they were going to war um so it's just like nothing builds from earlier scenes really it's just they're on this mission and things happen and then we find out new things and then more things happen and yeah it's just uh it's almost like vignettes yeah yeah, the only other thing I have is a nitpick, mm-hmm. which is uh, the soldiers at the end of the movie, before the skeletons show up, the soldiers who are chasing them have shields made of wicker. Oh. <laughs> like, what? I don't know. What, what is that going to stop? really stupid hats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it feels like you have a sword against a wicker shield. It's like, uh, mm. what's, the sh- what's the shield for? But anyway, that's a nitpick. I, I thought that... Did you guys like the skeleton fight? Yeah, I thought it was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Not the most famous. It's incredible one. how well, like, it's the choreography of, like, them hitting each other's swords and, you know, like, I, I loved it when he chopped the one's head off that yeah. moment, too. It looked really good. It looked, like, yeah. way better than I thought it would. Mm. And I th- oh, I loved, uh, at the end of it, they cut to Jason jumping, diving off the cliff, and you see the... Uh, oh, the actual like, skeleton? Skeleton yeah. models actually fall with him. I that, thought that, that was kicks yeah, ass, yeah. too. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, it was really solid. But that, that whole thing happened. It's like a three-minute scene, and it happens with seven minutes left in the movie. Right. <laughs> like this, this thing wraps up fucking quick. Yeah. Um, well, I was thinking about that because it was like I think there was like twenty minutes left, and I was like, okay, I know that there's the skeleton battle still coming. I know that there's a hydra battle still coming. Mm. I was like, how is this shit gonna happen in the next twenty minutes? But then you see, the hydra battle takes like four seconds to happen. Yeah, and I felt like that was also that's another one that was just completely like it could have been something interesting about him having to defeat this Hydra, but he just stabs it and it dies, and that's the end. <laughs> yeah, like, well, I really, I really wanted like you know the legend of the Hydra. You cut off one head, and like two will pop back up. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Yeah, you get nothing, and, and you know why they didn't, or I, I think I know why. I assume why. It's it, these took him so long. That's true. To that's film true. and. Like they actually filmed the live action parts in 1961. This thing wasn't released until 1963 because Harryhausen was meticulously doing the stop motion mm. for so long. That's like that's why the skeleton battle is only three minutes. That's why like Talos is the only long extended one, and probably because right. he was the easiest to and manipulate. He, and he vanishes during parts of it. Like he he's yeah. behind the yeah, mountain there's and a, he comes there's a, out. Yeah, yeah. There's a good couple of minutes where he there's like regrouping so uh oh I, I guess I'll say also that I read that this is Tom Hanks's favorite movie or that he considers it the greatest film of all time when he gave he gave Harryhausen a, some kind of lifetime achievement award and he said that people think it's Citizen Kane but I think Jason and the Argonauts is the best film of all yeah, time yeah. so it's got it's got one big fan out there for sure um alright ratings yeah I, uh, you know, I was going to go three, but I found, you know, I, I liked it enough to watch it a second time in three days. So, uh, I'm going somewhere in between a 3.25 and a three and a half. 
there are too many problems for it to like really earn a three and a half. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go three and a half. I'm going two and a half. Sorry, guys. Uh, that's okay though. Uh, so that's the show. Next week, it's my pick, and I'll be honest. Here's here's what my thought process was. Okay, mm-hmm. I had my pick for about a month now. I knew exactly what it was going to be. It was going to be a punishment for Jr. Another Ron <laughs> Howard movie. <laughs> gonna, Wouldn't that be punishment for you too? No. no? <laughs> okay, so it was going to be the it was going to be the movie The Missing. Which I haven't seen since the theater, and I remember disliking tremendously. But I've been mm. meaning to just just check it out again. Tommy Lee Jones rules. Kate Blanchett's in it. I mean, it should be good, right? It's a western. We love westerns on this show, yeah, obviously. Yeah, we do. Um, but then Amazon Prime last week. Look what popped up. My new pick for next week: The World's Greatest Sinner, directed by Timothy Carey from 1962. One of my top 50 films of all time. One of the few that JR has not seen. Um, and just a really, just a wonderful picture. And I can't wait to rewatch it. Uh, so, yeah, that's my new pick. And I'll probably just watch The Missing on my own. Because I've had it downloaded for a while now. I'm going to check it out. But uh, the pick for next next time is The World's Greatest Sinner. Directed right. by Timothy Carey. On Prime. Check it out. Quick, uh, quick note. Uh, while we're filming, we're filming on a Sunday, still morning for me, Sunday morning, filming, early early afternoon, uh, while we were recording, reported that Sonic the Hedgehog has the greatest video game adaptation three-day opening ever. That is say, important. That's not we surprising. all need to go see it now. No, I'm good. <laughs> My friend wants me to go see it with him, and I, I can't do it. I just can't Be do it. Be a good it. friend. I'm not going to do it. I don't waste this. such a waste of my time, you know? <laughs> be doing so many that, other things. Yeah. I have a gift card for AMC, and I wouldn't even use that to go see that <laughs> shit. Um, not going to happen. But anyways, feel free. I know you're going to go see it, JR. I'll see it eventually. I'm probably not going to pay to see it. You will. You'll care. Or maybe I, maybe <laughs> I will. Yeah. Anyway, if you want to uh, visit our website, that'd be great. It's at uh, filmyac.podient.co you want to email us the email address is filmiacpodcast at gmail.com and until next time thank you so much for listening bye bye